Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. This episode is being released much later than it should have been. As I mentioned in a previous podcast, I've recently moved house and this has taken up a lot of time on top of my normal English teaching. So I apologize that it's taken so long for me to get round to recording it. It's been about five weeks. And I'm really hoping to be able to get back to a more regular schedule for making these podcasts. As you know, I really enjoy receiving your messages. And uh, this week I wanted to read out a message which came from Paula in Brazil. Hello, Benjamin. My name is Paula and I'm from Brazil. I found your podcasts at the right time. I really needed to train my English, but I didn't know how. I'm studying English because I want to be a flight attendant. I listen to your podcasts whenever I have free time. You speak calmly and clearly. It's really perfect for me. Best wishes, Paula. Thank you, Paula, for your email. It's really rewarding to hear that the podcast is useful and enjoyable for you. This really motivates me to keep going with the podcast. I also know that I have quite a few listeners in Brazil. At the moment, uh, it's about 5% of my listeners. So it's really exciting to get a message from this country where the podcast has proved to be popular. Um, your email is really well written and clear, and it shows that you've got a really excellent level of English. I think it's great that you are learning English to help your career, and also that you've chosen a career where you will be able to use this language regularly, a language which you already speak very well. I wish you all the best, Paula, as you continue to learn English and as you start your training to be a flight attendant. It's a pleasure to read emails when they come in, so keep them coming. If you'd like to, you can also send in an MP3 of your message and I'll play that instead of me reading it out. So now, on with the episode. Today's episode is trying to understand the meaning behind a word which is used quite a lot in English, which is posh. Why are we looking at this word? Why did I decide to make an episode about it? It's because it ties in with some of the themes in previous episodes, especially episode 11, which was about Boris Johnson, who at the time of recording is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. So what does the word posh mean? Well, at a basic level, it might be quite similar to words that you have in your native language, the language that you speak as your first language. Most societies have an idea of elite and non-elite groups in society. In America, for example, there is a distinction between 
working class and upper class. In France, there is a concept of the elite, something which is deeply linked to geography. In other words, it's linked to the capital city of Paris. And there's a certain opposition between Paris and the provinces. And that's really connected to the idea of a Parisian elite. But in Britain, the word posh has a certain meaning, which makes it a bit different from the concept of elite. Firstly, the word is pretty much always used in a negative way. No one would self-identify as posh. Although, by contrast, the word elite can have positive meanings in certain contexts, particularly when it comes to sport or education. Secondly, the word posh can equally apply to people in the countryside as well as people in the city. And that's one significant difference from, say, France, like I mentioned before. Thirdly, I believe that the concept of posh is distinctively British and it's influenced by the history of British society. And we're going to explore all of these elements by looking at a few different parts of British society and trying to work out what this story has to do with the idea of poshness. And at the end of the podcast, we're going to ask one important question, which is, does any of this matter? The first important aspect of British society, which posh is related to, is the aspect of class. Now, class is something I've mentioned before, and it's something that really deserves its own podcast. And if you'd like me to do that, I can certainly do that. You should let me know. In short, in Britain, we sometimes divide society into classes. And the most common division is working class at the bottom, middle class, and at the top, upper class. These aren't strict categories. Lots of people wouldn't want to be defined as any of these. And it's not something which is given to you at birth. It's not assigned to you at birth. It's not written on your birth certificate. But it's an important way of thinking about society, which, for better or for worse, still defines the way we think about other people. It's really a question of background, and it draws together a number of factors. It draws together wealth, can you afford to go on holiday, for example? Do you own more than one car? Which supermarket do you shop at? The answers to these questions will immediately put you in one or the other of those categories. It relates to education, whether you went to a state or private school, something that we're going to look at in a bit more detail later on in the podcast. It relates to the question of whether you have gone to university, whether you're the first person in your family to go to university, or whether lots of people in your family went to university already. 
And it's also related to your profession. For example, do you work in a factory or in an office or at home? These used to be questions which would define your social class. But I think that's become slightly less important in recent years. And there's less of a clear division now between different jobs in terms of class. So to finish this little segment on class, the point I'm making is that if your answers to these questions, that you go on holiday a lot, you own multiple cars, it's a tradition in your family to go to university, you have a very well-paid job, all of those answers would lead towards the direction of posh, but not they don't necessarily mean that you would be posh. second aspect of British society that's really important for understanding this idea of poshness is education. Now, something that I mentioned before is the long tradition in the UK of private schools as opposed to state schools. In America, state schools are called public schools, but in the UK, we call them state schools. And another way of saying private schools is fee-paying schools, in other words, a school where you pay fees, you pay to study there, or normally your parents pay, or you can call them independent schools. Around 7% of students in the UK are educated in private schools. Within this 7%, there's a lot of variation. Some of these private schools are international schools, for example, with lots of foreign students. And, of course, there, the idea of poshness, which I said is very British, just doesn't really exist in the same way. Some of these schools are day schools, where you go back home in the evenings, and therefore you're only spending seven or eight hours a day in the school. So it has less of an impact on your life. But in terms of the word posh, I think we can draw a distinction between the majority of these schools, like the ones I mentioned, and around 10 to 15 boarding schools, in other words, schools where you sleep there and you live there for most of the year. And these, say, 10 to 15 boarding schools, lots of them just for boys, are regarded as the most traditional most competitive schools in the country. Many of these schools send a large number of their students to top universities. And one school in particular, Eton, educated 20 British prime ministers out of 55, going back to 1721. So more than a third of British prime ministers studied at this one school. If you add in Harrow and Westminster to other schools, then those three schools educated 33 out of 55 British Prime Ministers, so considerably more than half. So I think it's really important for understanding this idea of posh, which is that 
within British education, it's not a sort of level playing field. There is a hierarchy in people's minds that there are certain schools that are more competitive, more elite and um, more traditional. These schools at the top, as it were, not necessarily the top in terms of educating students, but very often the top in terms of getting them into the top universities, these schools have a strong link with poshness. The third aspect that I want to look at today is accent. I would really like to do a whole podcast on the different accents in Britain. Um, but today we're just going to look at one side of that. You might think that the royal family would have the poshest accents in Britain. My opinion is that they don't. And that the younger they are in the royal family... And the further away they are from the line of succession from the throne, the more their accents resemble normal British accents you might hear. Still, there is no doubt that their accents are very posh. But to give you a clear example of a posh accent, I'm going to play you a recording from a British politician who is regarded as being one of the poshest politicians in the UK, and he's called Jacob Rees-Mogg. The following clip is taken from an election broadcast. That's a broadcast that political parties make before elections to try to persuade you to vote for them in the election. The advantage of this clip is that he speaks fairly slowly. I'd say it's reasonably clear English, and he takes time to think about what he's going to say. You'll notice that his accent is defined by maybe different vowels from what you might expect. Northern Ireland's people and politicians will be able to choose whether to remain in alignment with the EU or not. Regardless of what it chooses, it will remain part of the United Kingdom and in our economic, political and customs system. So it's a good deal for everybody. In my view, this Prime Minister has shown that he can be trusted. He's shown that he can be trusted in the details of the deal and in the political declaration. The political declaration moves towards a free trade agreement, a comprehensive free trade agreement, better than Canada, but for ease of reference, like Canada. Once again, that means we will be an ordinary third country in relation to the European Union. We won't be tied to their ways or tied to their standards. We will be able to do things for ourselves. This reflects the result of the referendum. The freedom that the British people craved, demanded, voted for, will become a reality. And the transition period will end on the 31st of December 2020. I'm happy to recommend this deal with real enthusiasm because I think it is a triumph of negotiating, which everyone told the Prime Minister was impossible. Yet in 85 days, he has reopened the withdrawal agreement, unpicked it, got rid of the undemocratic backstop, and ensured the freedom of the United Kingdom. So that should give you some idea of what I'm talking about when I talk about a posh accent. And I think it's really important to remember that 
the recording we just heard is one that was made to persuade people to vote for this party. And we'll come back to that idea later. So can you have this accent without having an elite education, without having an upper class background, without having money? Yes, you can. Anyone can pick up whatever accent they want. But these things are often connected to education, class and money. And does Jacob Rees-Mogg come from the kind of background you might expect? Yes, he does. He's the son of Baron William Rees-Mogg, who was elevated to the nobility. He grew up in a very wealthy family. He studied at Eton and then Oxford. And when he was asked in an interview what class he belonged to, Rees-Mogg avoided the question and said he was a man of Somerset. Somerset is a region in southwest England. He then said he was a man of the people and finished off his answer by saying in Latin, Vox Populi, Vox Dei, meaning the voice of the people is the voice of God. I'm not really sure I need to say anything more about that. So to pull together these three ideas, the three aspects of poshness that we've looked at, they are rooted in the nature of British society, the British class system, the British education system. But there's another conclusion which we can draw, and that is that poshness is often not a reflection of what a person has done, but it's more a reflection of where they have come from. It's not someone's choice to be born rich. It's not their choice to go to a particular school. Normally, it's the choice of the parents. It's not a choice to develop an accent that might be common at that particular school or amongst the people that you meet. And in many ways, to criticise someone for being posh is a criticism of their background and not a criticism of their actions. It's not a criticism of their beliefs or of anything that they've done. So in some ways, criticising someone for being posh is a bit of a surface criticism. It's superficial, right? It's, con it's about things that are on the surface of a personality and not actually about what they've done and it's not about the merits of their actions whether what they've done is good or bad so i think there is a slight unfairness in challenging people for being posh or attacking people for being posh because these things are often not a hundred percent in the control of the person who is being attacked <laughs> So now that we have a bit of an idea of what it means to be posh, I want us to ask the question, why does this matter? Well, I want to start by giving you a pretty extraordinary fact. Before 1964, every British Prime Minister went to a private school. 
but between 1964 and 1997, all British prime ministers were educated in state schools. So that's 33 years where every British prime minister came from an entirely different background from the prime ministers who had come before them. Since 1997, the majority of prime ministers have been privately educated, like they all were before 1964. So there were these 33 years where the people running the country came from quite a different background, and that applies to both political parties that were in power during that time. But since then, the last 23 years, there has been perhaps a reversion or a change back to the kind of backgrounds of people who've been running the country. To look at this in a bit more detail, I want to tell you a little bit about a film which was made in 2014 called The Riot Club. The screenplay was written by Laura Wade. This film is relevant for lots of reasons. One reason is that it is based very closely on a play also written by Laura Wade called Posh. The play was first performed in 2010, 10 years ago. The film, just like the play before it, tells the story of an imaginary club at Oxford University, a club which is only open to students from the very poshest backgrounds. And if you were really paying attention in the episode on Boris Johnson, you might be one step ahead already. This club, the Riot Club, is based very closely on a real club called the Bullingdon Club. The Riot Club in the film, just like the Bullingdon Club in real life, was started in the 18th century. And you can only join it if you went to one of a small number of the top schools in England, the elite boarding schools, which I mentioned before. The Riot Club, like the Bullingdon Club in real life, is a drinking club where the members were notorious for ruining the restaurants and pubs where they had their dinners. They had a, a bad reputation for destroying the places where they had their dinners. And in the film, we see the riot club destroying a pub, pulling down the wallpaper, destroying the furnishings, the sofas, the chairs, smashing them to pieces, um, breaking the glass, and then almost killing the pub owner when he tries to stop them. This film is interesting because there's a concept in the film that the riot club is a group of people who feel that they can behave in any way they like because they can afford to pay for the damage. And it also tries to show us the entitled attitudes of the members of the club, the fact that they feel that they are better than other people because of their wealth and their background. One line from the film, and I'm going to remove one of the words in this line because this is a family-friendly podcast. One of the characters says, I am sick to death of poor people. And there's another line which I'd like to mention, which is interesting, 
which is Chris, who is the owner of the pub, who is almost killed by the riot club. He says to the members of the riot club, people like you think you can buy your way out of everything. And this idea of buying your way out, paying money to get out of difficult situations is really important. So I'm going to play you a, a short clip from an interview with the screenplay writer, Laura Wade, and the actor who plays the main role in the film, Max Irons. I think it is interesting to listen to this interview to get an idea of what point the film is trying to make. And it also gives you a chance to hear some different British voices and accents other than my own. One word which is mentioned in the interview, which I haven't discussed yet, is the word toff. And this is a word for a person with a posh accent, with posh manners, from a posh background. In a way, the word toff is the noun that goes with the adjective posh. But toff maybe has a stronger meaning. And I think it could only really apply to people at the very top of the scale of poshness. So here's the interview with journalist Matt Fry, screenplay writer Laura Wade. And the interview begins with Max Irons talking. I thought this can't exist. These people can't exist. But we did our research, and they do. And in fact, I think you took the first draft up to Cambridge. Yeah. And the feedback was, it's not extreme yeah. enough. Yeah. You know, this stuff happens. What does it say about Britain that these sort of dining clubs still exist today? I think that we still live in a worryingly unequal society. Mm. There are people out there who think that their wealth and their, their class um, give them license to behave however they like, and I think that's kind of the central uh, metaphor of the story, is, the, is these boys uh, believe that because they can afford to pay for the damage, they can do whatever they like. And the fact that three former members of the Bullingdon um, are running um, the Treasury, the country, and the City of London, what does that tell you? Uh, well, I think it tells you that membership of one of these clubs is, is a stepping stone to, to high office. But there's, there's equality in terms of you know, finances, and then there's the inequality of class, which this is what this film is really about. Do you think that the kind of visceral inequality of class, the poison of class, is more pronounced now than it was, I don't know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Yeah, because I think class and wealth go hand in hand in that, in that respect. Um, and we seem to be living in a world in which um, if you don't have enough money to get you to the places where you, where you need to go, then there isn't enough help available. Well, the idea that, um, that the upper classes are, are largely harmless is potentially a dangerous one. What about you, Max? But you come from that world in a way, don't you? I mean, you're not, you're not a toff, but you did go to a private school and all that, so... I, I mean, did go to a private school, but we're not, we're not attacking people who go to private schools. We're not yeah, attacking people yeah, who went to Oxford that. University. We're attacking a particular set of values. Mm. Very rare to find, but they do exist, and we're, we're pointing the spotlight onto that section of society in the way the spotlights have been shone onto many mm. places of society many times before. Um, all I hope this film does is, you know, the government should represent the people and all people, not just particular parts of, of society. And I think if it makes us examine the values that were associated by the people who are representing us, then that's good. And, and if, you know, if David Cameron ever sees this film, or Boris Johnson or George Osborne, do you think they would recognise themselves in those characters if they were being honest with themselves? 
I don't know. They might. One interesting point that's made in this interview is the idea that these kinds of clubs are a stepping stone to high office. High office meaning government. The film actually shows a couple of scenes in Whitehall, which is the part of London where a number of British government departments are based. And here we see a member of the riot club, the most violent member, in fact, advancing his career and receiving a job offer and support from a previous member of the club, a former member of the club. And in some ways, this is a metaphor. The idea that the members of this club are able to do whatever they want with no negative consequences because they have the money and the connections in society to get away with it. And this links to a phrase that we use in English, which is to get away with murder. It's an idiom. What this phrase means is that you can do whatever you want without getting punished for it. And because the members of the club do almost kill someone in the film, there is an idea that they can get away with murder, that they can do the most awful acts and commit the most awful crimes without any consequences. So the club continues to look after its own members, supporting people who come from the same background. They're able to use the history of the club and the former members to look after themselves. So there's a connection between the members of the club and the people who have come from the same background. So the film is making a number of serious points and I guess the most serious point is that social class helps you get your foot on the ladder. Another metaphor we use. It helps you get your foot on the ladder. It helps you climb your way up society. If you come from the right background, you can get the support of those people who have similar backgrounds. Come back to this question. Why does this matter? Well, at the time the film was made, as they say in the interview, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who's in charge of the Treasury, in charge of government spending, and the Mayor of London are all former members of the Bullingdon Club, the real-life riot club. The attack on the behaviour of people in the imaginary riot club is an attack on the people who were part of the real-life Bullingdon Club. And it raises the question, do you want these people to be the ones making decisions about your country? Do you want to give these people the keys to power? Politicians from these posh backgrounds have, in fact, been very successful at separating themselves from the idea of being elite. Because a large number of people think about posh politicians as being representative of them and of ordinary people, speaking for them and caring about their lives. And the point that this film is trying to make is that actually the one thing that they care most about is making sure that they succeed in the world. 
So to conclude, there's no doubt that poshness is, to some extent, about surface appearance. It's about superficial questions. It's about your accent, it's about where you've come from, it's about your schooling, your education. And all of those are things that are often out of your control when you're a child and that you can't be blamed for. But I think this question of poshness does bring up some other questions, which is who has the power in society? If you consider this and the fact that I mentioned that between 1964 and 1997, all British prime ministers were state educated and that the majority since 1997 haven't been, the fact that they now tend to come from a posher background suggests that we are going back into a generation where an old-fashioned posh elite who had power up to 1964 are now starting to have more influence in government and achieving the top jobs. So the question of does it matter, I suppose the answer is yes and no. The importance of being posh is that it gives you a ticket to the best parties. It gives you a foot on the ladder. It gives you the connections you need to make mistakes and to not suffer the consequences. And it's very hard to understand British society and British politics without also having an understanding of what it means to be posh. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I hope that it's shed some light on this question of what it means when we use the word posh and what we might be talking about. There's so much more that I could have said and in a way I'm only scratching the surface with this episode because it relates to so many aspects of society. But I wanted to give you an impression of what I think are the important elements in this story and to give you a little bit more context for when you're finding out about British class and British society, if that's something you are interested in. I'd also really recommend, if you have two hours free, to watch the film The Riot Club because it's a really interesting film and I think it gives a very good explanation of this topic as well as being a very engaging film. So all that remains for me to say is thank you for listening and I hope you have a great couple of weeks and I hope to be able to do my next episode a little bit sooner than I was able to for this episode. See you next time. Bye.